Welcome everyone, so good to have all of you for week two of this conversation, Don't Settle for Christian. And for those of you that are joining us for the first time, what we're doing is we're answering a question that we've been asked many times over the last three or four months by many of you is, how do we as Christians make a difference in our world in this season when there is so much chaos and so much confusion? And what we'll discover through this series, as we talked about last week, is it has nothing to do with politics, and it has a lot to do, a lot more to do than what we think about of how we think about Christian. In fact, this whole conversation, as we said last week, is based on the idea of becoming a Christian is easy. Literally, we said all you have to do is you got to trust that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose again, making his forgiveness free to you. So salvation is a free gift. It costs you nothing, but it cost Jesus his life. It was a very costly gift. So what we said is being a Christian is easy, but following Jesus, it will cost me everything. Now, Here's the thing that we discovered as we began our conversation last week. Some of us have been very comfortable claiming the badge, claiming the label of Christian in our community. See, Christian has been, at least until recently, a pretty safe term. Because here's the reality. If I'm a Christian, I can believe but never do anything. I can believe but never change. But what we challenged us starting last week was, but what about being a Jesus follower. Now, here's why this matters to us. Jesus was very clear about what it meant to be a disciple or one of his followers. In fact, what we learned is he never used the term Christian to refer to a person who was a follower of his. In fact, what we discovered is that the term Christian was a derogatory term that other people came up with to describe people who followed Jesus. No, Jesus, he used, he used the term disciple to describe people who followed him. And, and he didn't measure how good or how bad a disciple was or a follower was by what we were against or based on how much Bible knowledge we had or, or whether we prayed publicly before meals. No, Jesus said the defining and the distinguishing mark, and please don't miss this, Jesus said the defining and the distinguishing mark of a disciple is how we love one another. Not, not like normal people love one another. In other words, I'm in when everything is good and, and I'm out when things go bad or I'm in the relationship when things are going good, but then I'll have nothing with, to do with you anymore when things go bad. No, Jesus said, he says, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. Because see, loving like Jesus loved us, it is the only way we can make a difference in the world that is filled with so much confusion and so much chaos. So the challenge for us in this series is this. How do we do more than just wear the label or wear the badge Christian? And what we challenged you beginning last week is saying, no, let's not settle for Christian, that label anymore. Let's figure out how we can be fully devoted followers of Jesus and live and love like Jesus did. And the place to begin to start answering this question of how do we become followers of Jesus is to be, look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When you open up the Gospels that tell us about Jesus' life, that would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
and you begin to look at how Jesus loved people, the truth is, it's kind of terrifying. Because when you look at what love requires of us, what love demands of us, it creates a tension. Because here's what you will discover. The way Jesus loved people, at times it was so messy. At times it was so painful. At times it was unfair. And it was confusing. Which means for us today, loving others like Jesus, it's going to be messy. It's going to put you in situations that are going to be awkward and they're going to be uncomfortable. And very oftentimes it is going to be painful. Loving like Jesus, as you're going to discover, it's going to require a lot of you which will cost you quite a bit emotionally and at times even spiritually and mentally and physically. So loving like Jesus, and it's going to be costly, but at other times it's going to feel unfair. For example, why do I have to be loving when they're not loving back? Or why do I have to take the high road when they're not taking the high road? Or why do I have to go the second mile when they're not even going the first mile? And then maybe most of all, when it comes to loving others like Jesus, loving like Jesus, it can be so confusing. I mean, think about this. Have you ever been honestly confused about what the loving thing to do in a certain situation would be? I think we all have been there, haven't we? We've been honestly confused about a situation that we were in when it came to a relationship about what would the loving thing be to do? Like, do I say something or do I keep quiet? Or do I help them or do I not help them? See, figuring out how to love, it really is confusing at times. And the reason that is true is when you love like Jesus, you are forced to live in the tension. And understand, this is a tension. It will be something that you will deal with the rest of your life, living in the tension between grace and truth. And most likely, you have felt this tension between grace and truth without even realizing that was what was going on. See, the tension of grace and truth is, do I show grace or do I speak the truth? Because, see, grace says... I'm going to give you a pass. Truth says, I'm going to make a point. Grace says, you're wonderful. Truth says, you're messed up. Grace says, you're forgiven. Truth says, you're accountable. Grace says, you'll get it right the next time. Truth says, you messed up this time. And grace says, I love you no matter what. Truth says, there are consequences for your actions. And for a lot of you, grace is kind of like your mom, kind of the nurturing part. And and truth is kind of like your dad. It's the accountability, the authority part. So what you do, you do in your relationship with God, what you did at home and what you do at life, you choose one or the other. Specifically, you choose grace when you were in trouble because you want to pass, and then you choose truth when it was your brother or your sister because you want them held accountable. But the reality is, as we're going to discover from the life and ministry of Jesus, you shouldn't live on either end of the spectrum because if you have only grace or if you have only truth, you actually have neither. Now, here's what's interesting about this. What's true for individuals is also true for churches. See, what we mean by that is this. Some of you, 
You grew up in all grace churches, and by that, we don't mean biblical saving grace. We mean the kind of watered-down version of grace that says, it really doesn't matter what you do. Who's to say what's right or wrong, and we'll just ignore any parts of the Bible that might make somebody uncomfortable about their lifestyle choices, and we'll accept everyone's lifestyle as what's best for them. And if you grew up in a church like that, I bet you intuitively knew that something was missing, and you're right, and here's why. Because grace loses its value and significance if anything goes. There's nothing life-changing about acceptance if it's not accompanied by truth. See, we kind of intuitively understand that. On the other hand, a bunch of us, especially if you're a church person, we grew up in all-truth churches. And these churches, this is the goal of an all-truth church. It's to make a point so everybody knows what our point is and know what we're against. The problem is nobody really knows what an all-truth church is for. Now, here's the thing. Many of us grew up in all-truth denominations. And here's the thing. We were good at making a point. We made a point about everything. In fact, way back in the day when I was growing up in an all-truth church, I mean, we were against trick-or-treating. We were against going to the movie theater. We were against cartoons. We were against comic books. And the best one was when we decided to make a point about Disney, so we boycotted them. And clearly, that worked, right? (laughs) No. And again, here's the thing. When you're an all-truth kind of church, what happens is it just distorts everything. It does a lot to feed our pride, but it does nothing to make a difference in our world, in our communities. Now, the thing that I really love about reading the Gospels is when you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't end up on either end of the spectrum, either grace or truth. And one of the disciples who wrote about this, probably the most, was the Apostle John. See, John wrote one of the four gospel accounts, and you want to guess which one? Yes, it was the Gospel of John. He wrote it about A.D. 70, which was about 40 years after Jesus had gone back to heaven, because the Christians knew that he was getting old, and they wanted a record of what John had seen and experienced. Not what he had been told, but what he personally had seen and experienced in his interaction with Jesus and being a follower or disciple of Jesus for three years. So John begins his gospel account trying to explain to them who Jesus was. And the best way he knows to do it was to describe Jesus, and don't miss this, was to describe Jesus as the Word. And that's really a perfect analogy because a word is simply a thought expressed. And what John is saying is Jesus was God expressed to us. So here's John's description of Jesus. We find it in John chapter 1 beginning in verse 14. Here's what he writes. The word became flesh. Or literally the expression of God, God expressed, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He literally lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Don't miss this next part. Full of grace 
and truth. Now, this is just an amazing contrast when you look at this statement, full of grace and truth. See, when John thought about how to describe Jesus, the two words that came to his mind, they seem like total opposites to us. But what John taught us in this statement, it is so important as we figure out how to make a difference in our communities and in our nation, in our world that is so filled with so much chaos and confusion because it helps us understand how to love like Jesus. Not just settle for label Christian, but how to truly love like Jesus did as his followers. I mean, think about what John is telling us. John is saying that Jesus wasn't a balance of, but he was, get this, the full capacity of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus didn't have moments where he went over to the grace end of the spectrum and then other moments where he goes to the all truth end of the spectrum. John says Jesus wasn't trying to balance things out 50-50. He says, no, in every moment of Jesus' life, in every interaction of Jesus' life, Jesus, he was full. He was absolutely full as as much grace as a person could show, but he was as much truth. He was full of truth as any person could share. So he was the full capacity of both. And today, what we're going to do to help us understand this statement right here is we're going to look at a story that I think illustrates this so well. And it teaches us to live how we can live in this tension of loving with both grace and truth because it's the only way to truly love others like Jesus. Now, this story is found just a few chapters later in John chapter 8, if you want to follow along with us there. And it takes place near the end of a Jewish religious holiday. Now, on the last day of the celebration at this Jewish holiday, Jesus stood up in the temple in front of this large crowd of people, and he makes a claim, don't miss this, he makes a claim that he was God, that he is the Messiah. Now, you can imagine, having spent hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah, that this got the Jewish crowd buzzing. And people took sides on this issue. People were on both sides of the issue. If you want to understand how divided the Jewish people were on this, just think about our country and how everyone is divided during this election. It is that kind of divisiveness that was going on there. Some people believed that Jesus was Messiah, and some people absolutely didn't. And there's so much tension, and there's this debate going on about it. And even more than that, the religious leaders who are an all-truth crowd, they got involved in this because if Jesus truly is the Messiah, it means that they're going to lose their job and they're going to lose their power. And as you can imagine, this infuriated these religious leaders. So they come up with a plan on how they can trap Jesus and make him look bad and help try to establish this trap so that it'll cause him to make a mistake and they can get rid of him because he'll lose all of his credibility. So here's what happens the next morning. And this is a perfect example of how to love 
full, with the full capacity of grace and truth. And we start reading about this in John chapter 8, verse 2. Notice what it says. At dawn. So this is when Jesus' day started. And some of you, uh, you would have had a hard time following Jesus back in the day because he started at dawn. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now, Jesus knew that there were these religious leaders that were out to get him, so he could have easily avoided the temple that day. The easy thing to do would have been to stay away from all the chaos and all the confusion, but he shows up anyway, and just as a big crowd gathers around him first thing in the morning, and he begins to teach them, notice what happens beginning in the next verse. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and that's just kind of awkward isn't it especially first thing in the morning i mean can can you imagine how humiliating that has to have been for this woman to be dragged in front of hundreds of people first thing in the morning and everybody knows what you were up to last night and to make matters worse you have jesus the person who claims to be the Messiah, he is teaching that day. I mean, this has to be like this woman's worst nightmare. In fact, where, where was the man that was involved in this? And, and these religious leaders, they had to drag this lady there. So they defiled themselves in this problem. This is, this is how much tension and controversy was going on there. And so with this drama and this tension as high as it could be, These religious leaders, they make it very clear what they're up to. Notice the last part of verse 3. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, here's how the trap worked in their mind. If Jesus goes the all-truth route and says, well, you should stone her, then the violence that would ensue, it it would get him arrested by the Roman guards because guess what? The Romans said that the Jewish people could not kill anyone. So choosing the truth route, the religious leaders win. They discredit Jesus and they win. On the other hand, if Jesus goes the all-grace route and says, no, ignore the Jewish law, forgive her, then it's going to look like he's compromising Scripture and people would not follow him anymore because it would cost him his credibility. So again, the religious leaders in their mind, they would win. Now here's where this gets really practical for us. Haven't you found yourself with this kind of tension before? Haven't you been there? You found yourself with the tension of, Do I tell them that God says it's a sin or do I just give them a pass? Or should I give them the money this time again or should I not help them? Or do I let them be involved or do I say, no, you can't be involved in this at this level because of what they've done? See, that is the tension of grace and truth. And that is exactly what Jesus is facing here. So look at how Jesus responds because it's an amazing example for us. I mean, it's so incredible. So all these religious leaders, they're standing there. They're watching Jesus as they have 
place this trap in place, and they're probably smiling on the inside, maybe even on the outside. And this poor woman is caught in adultery. I mean, she's humiliated in front of this whole crowd first thing in the morning. I'm sure she's feeling broken and maybe crying. I mean, they have no sympathy. I want you to look at what happens, last part of verse 6. But Jesus, he bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, you got to remember that the tension's so thick that you could cut it with a knife. And these religious leaders are like, Jesus, you need to do something. You need to say something. <laughs> and here he is writing on the ground. He, he's doodling in the dirt. And the, tri- the crowd, I'm sure, is trying to see what he's writing, what's he doing. And there's been all kind of speculation about what he was writing. And I don't even think it really even matters. He, but what does matter is that Jesus lets the moment sit. And the religious leaders, they can't stand it. He allows this incredible tension to develop. And they just keep badgering him. Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going to stone her? You're not going to stone her. And he just keeps doodling and infuriates him. And then finally, verse, the next part of the verse says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, if you want to go the all-truth route, that's fine. But you can only make a point if you are not guilty, if you are without sin. See, the law says, yeah, you need to stone her. She's definitely guilty. But stone her, but the only person that can do that is the one who's perfect. And I'm sure that created even more tension. And then it says, look at this. This is what Jesus does next. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, can, can you imagine what all these people are thinking? They're trying to figure out what he's writing. And there are many people said that he was writing names of people and their, their lovers or the people they had committed adultery with or even some of their names and their sins. We, we don't know. But can you imagine what everyone is feeling in this moment? Can you imagine what this woman is thinking? And and when she heard Jesus say, well, stone her, but it's got to be somebody without sin, she might be thinking, I wish he'd have never said stone her, like forgive her. That would sound so much better to this lady. But the reality is Jesus is about to show her, and he's about to show us in this moment of this incredible tension what it looks like to love or what love looks like when there is full grace and there is full truth and the kind of difference that love makes when it is full of grace and truth. In fact, look at verse 9 with me. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there can you imagine what this lady is feeling in this moment moments ago she's on the verge of dying this violent painful death now she's standing there in front of Jesus and while her accusers are gone she's still got a little bit of a problem the one person in the crowd that day who was qualified to stone her is standing right next to her Jesus has no sin, and she has no excuses. 
She's guilty as charged. Verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. At least not yet. Now what happens next is so powerful because Jesus models for us exactly what it looks like to love someone with the full capacity of grace and truth. And as you're about to see, these words that Jesus speaks next when they are filled with the full capacity of grace and truth, they become some of the most freeing words that this woman will ever hear. In fact, look at it. Last part of verse 11. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Which is, so what is it, Jesus? It is grace, neither do I condemn you, or is it truth? Leave your life of sin. You're a sinner. And Jesus demonstrates, no, it's both. It's absolutely both because here's what he knew. Love, supernatural, sacrificial love, it is full of grace and truth. It is 100% grace and it is 100% truth. And here is why this is so powerful and here is why this makes such a big difference. Truth makes a point. It just points out the issue. Grace gives a path. But it's love that's full of grace and truth that makes a difference. It's not either or. Grace and truth are not mutually exclusive. They're actually mutually dependent. You can't love with one and not the other. Make sure you don't miss that. You can't love with one and not the other. And as Jesus is saying, yes, I forgive her. No, adultery is not okay. Yes, she gets another chance, but no, she shouldn't keep doing what she's been doing. It's sin. Now, here's the thing. If you're sitting there and you've been a truth person most of your life, you're thinking, but Jesus, aren't you maybe being a little soft on sin? Aren't you worried that maybe even you would ruin your reputation and what people would think about you because maybe they would think that you're condoning adultery? Are you saying that? This sin of adultery is not a big deal. And Jesus would say, you think I think this sin of adultery is not a big deal? I mean, this sin of adultery is going to cost me my life on the cross. I understand how big a deal this sin is more than anyone, but I care more about my relationship with her than I do my reputation. In fact, Jesus, he could have used this woman. He could have preached a sermon on adultery to this crowd, and he could have made this woman an object lesson, as many churches have done in the past, and, and he would have been right, but it would not have helped her because Jesus was not trying to make a point. Jesus was trying to make a difference, and nothing would change her life like grace and truth combined together just did. Now, here's the thing. Those of you that are grace people are thinking, well, Jesus, I, I don't think you should call her a sinner. I mean, don't you think that's going to hurt her self-esteem? Because who are you to say what's right and what's wrong? To which Jesus would say, hey, part of the reason for all the tension here is because I'm God. And I declare that I'm God. And I get to care the 
call the shots on what's right and what's wrong and we're not going to act like it doesn't matter because her behavior it's offensive to me and it's destructive to her and it's harmful to others and so we're not ignoring nor condoning it i love her much too much to not tell her that now here's why this matters so much to us if you are serious about following jesus christ and not just settling for Christian. If you're serious about loving like Jesus, you're going to have to deal with this tension of grace and truth every day of your life. And here's the thing you need to understand. Your tendency and my tendency, it's always going to be to lean heavily on one side or the other, whichever side comes naturally to you, grace or truth but here's the thing if you fall to one side and you ignore the other side then you're absolutely missing what it means to love like Jesus and you'll never make the impact that you could or that you should as a follower of Jesus so here's what you need to remember as you find yourself in these situations where this tension of grace and truth is so big. And you're trying to figure out how to love. And that is this. Jesus didn't condone sin or condemn the sinner. And neither should we. See, you can't go one way to the other. To be like Jesus, you have to learn. And this is such a hard lesson to learn. You have to learn to live in the tension of being full of grace and full of truth because here's the reality that love that lives in the tension of grace and truth that's the kind of love that truly makes a difference in our culture and i'm telling you for years this is the kind of church that we've tried to be and i'm just going to go ahead and tell you it's not easy and we haven't always gotten it right especially me and here's why. Because I was brought up in the truth model. So I have had to intentionally, for the last 27 years, lean in to learning to live in this tension of being full of grace and truth. Because my natural inclination, because of my upbringing, and also because of my personality, is to lean into the truth side. And here's what I've learned as I've struggled through this process, and that is this. If you feel the tension between grace and truth in every situation, don't miss this. If you feel that tension between grace and truth in every situation, then you're probably in the right place. When there is no longer any tension between grace and truth, in your relationships, then it usually means you're either too far on the true side, like we showed him who was right, we made our point, or you're too far on the gray side, you know, do what you want, it's okay. But when there is a tension, it's a good thing because you're right where you need to be if you're going to love other people as Jesus has loved us. So here's our challenge for you this week. It's to answer this question. Which way do you naturally lean? Are, are you all truth and no grace and 
you're just concerned about being right and making a point and making sure people get the point? Or are you all grace and no truth and you're just condoning everything? Or or do you find yourself trying to balance it? Because if you're trying to balance it, then you're not loving at all. Listen, if you're one or the other, you're actually neither. Because see, they cannot exist independently. And I can promise you, if that you're one or the other, if you're trying to do the 50-50 thing, then you're not making any impact on the people around you. See, don't forget this. This is such an important point. Truth makes a point. Grace gives a pass. It is love that's full of grace and truth that makes a difference. It's not settling for Christian and allowing yourself to fall to the true side or the gray side. Instead, it's choosing to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus who, who doesn't condone the sin, but we don't condemn the sinner either. So my challenge to you this week is, hey, let's make the commitment to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And, and if we do, we'll make the kind of impact that Jesus made because love that is full of grace and truth, that's the love that Jesus modeled. And that's what Jesus said. And it's also what Jesus demonstrated and his followers, the early followers of Jesus demonstrated will change and impact our world. So don't settle for Christian just because it's easy. Don't just wear that label and that badge. Instead, Love other people. Be committed to loving other people. Full of grace and truth. Be committed to living in that tension. And I promise you, you'll change your world. It's already been demonstrated by our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible opportunity to not settle for Christian, but to make an impact by loving others as you've loved us. I pray that today we'll we'll take serious the question, which way do we have a tendency to lean? Toward grace, toward truth. Today we're asking by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'll come and, and you'll show us that very clearly and then you'll help us, especially as we continue to follow you, to learn to live full of grace and full of truth and help us help us to embrace the tension that we're going to feel every day in every situation relationally and God remind us when we're feeling that tension that that's a good spot and then I pray that we'll come back to this example that you modeled for us and figure out how we can be full of grace and truth In every relational encounter that we experience this week, we need your help. And we are trusting that you're going to guide us and lead us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everyone, thanks so much. And we'll be praying for you this week as you live out this tension of grace and truth, as you learn to live people as or love people as Jesus loved. Hey, we'll see you next week as we finish up this conversation. Have a great week.